0: Good morning. Today's verse is Ecclesiastes 9, 1 through 12. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all, the living, has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion, for the living know that they will die, But the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife of God. Again I saw that under the sun the race is not to, not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time, when it suddenly falls upon them. And this is the word of the Lord.
1: Alright, good morning everyone. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, I just want to come before you right now and thank you so much for this day. God, thank you so much for this opportunity you've given all of us to come together to worship you, God, just to learn more about you, to understand you better, grow in our relationship with you. <clears throat> so God, this morning I pray as I open up your word, Lord, that you speak through me, Lord, that you would help every person in this room come to know you better, Lord God. And if there's anyone in here today that doesn't know you, isn't in a true relationship with you, God, that you would just work in their hearts today. Just love you and praise you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I need everyone to imagine something for me. I want you to imagine an old, dusty chest down in the basement of a run-down, decrepit house. So not only is there an old chest down in a crazy, rusted-out, gross house, it's midnight. There's rain. The storm is blowing everywhere. There's lightning in the sky. You feel the thunder under your feet. So no one wants to go into this house, let alone go into the basement of this house. And if somehow you're you're brave enough to go into the house, find the basement, climb down the creaky, unlit staircase that seems to go on for eternity, even if you get that far, you have to be Indiana Jones or Chuck Norris or something to take the next step, which is finding the dusty old chest and opening it up. So in life, the dusty old chest in the basement is this idea of death. As a child, we grow up knowing that death is a thing, but for the most part, we, we keep it far off and hidden in a place that we, we seldom go to. The idea of death and anything surrounding it, it causes fear, it causes insecurity, it causes pain, and in some cases, for some people, it just causes terror. But why is this? Why is this? Why is it that horror movies can take this idea of death and twist it into something that people are petrified of? Why is death such a scary, difficult pill to swallow? So I was seeing a Dutch Bros. here in Windsor when I was studying the passage that we're going to dive into today. And out of curiosity, I asked a couple of the girls working there their thoughts on death. Their answers were so interesting and so incredibly appropriate for what we're going to be diving into today in Ecclesiastes. So one of the girls I spoke to said this. She said, when she thinks of death, she's scared. She thinks of loss, sadness, the unknown. The most interesting thing she said, though, was, I don't know what's going to happen when I die, and I don't want to know. When I first heard that, everything in me just lit up for the sake of the gospel. I was thinking, I was like, this poor girl, this poor girl is scared of death because she doesn't know what's on the other side. This poor girl is scared of death because she doesn't know, she doesn't get it. But as I started thinking about this, I realized it's, it's not just non-believers that are afraid of death. To some extent, everyone has this fear built into them. I asked another girl that was working there that I know is a Christian, just to, just to see the difference between the two responses. And the response she gave, I, I felt it was just, it was perfect. She said that death is scary, but I'm not afraid. That was so beautiful for me to hear. Because the truth is, no matter who you are, saved or not, this idea of death can be paralyzing. It's so hard to process and and to comprehend this thing that no one can truly understand. Death is the ultimate equalizer. It happens to everyone. No one knows when it's going to happen and it's inevitable. It's the ultimate equalizer. When I was a kid, the idea of death scared me to my core. My parents got divorced when I was eight, and after that, my biological dad, he went nuts. He became an alcoholic, became abusive. He basically turned into a nightmare for an eight-year-old kid. He would get drunk, and he would constantly threaten my brother and I. He would say that if we told anyone what he was doing, if we ever told anyone what he was doing, that he would go find my mom and my stepdad and murder them hearing these things as a kid, it created an extreme fear of death. I was always thinking about it. I was always afraid of it, scared of it. I was always worried about it. Even knowing I was saved, knowing Jesus being fully man, fully God, came to this earth to live the perfect life, die and rise again for me, knowing that because I repented of my sin, And believe what Jesus did for me, knowing I will spend eternity with my creator, even knowing all this, the fear of death was still there. I was still afraid. The idea of death, like I said before, can be paralyzing. It can stop us in our tracks and put us in a place where we're not truly living the lives God's given us. Enjoying the many, many, many gifts God's provided us in this life. So today, as we dive into our passage in Ecclesiastes, there's one question I want you to consistently ask yourself through this sermon. How do you live in light of death? How do you live in light of death? So go ahead, open up your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 9, 1 through 12, if you're not there already. Should be behind me on the screen as well. Maybe. Maybe. So up to this point in this book, we've seen the preacher break down the vanity of life, how fleeting life is, right? It's a havel, it's a mist, it's a vapor, it's here one second, it's gone the next. He started small, and he's like progressively gotten bigger and bigger on the scale of things that are here one, man, one second and gone the next, and the evil's under the sun. He's progressively gotten bigger and bigger on the scale, From the striving after self-indulgence, living wisely, toil, wealth, honor, you name it, he's broken it down and shown the striving after the wind in it. And that brings us to today's passage that I feel is the pinnacle of this book up to this point. This is the buildup. He's been building up to this point and we're finally there to the top of it. The greatest evil under the sun, which is death. Ecclesiastes 9.1 says this, But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hands of God. Whether as love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. So he starts off with, all this I laid to heart. All this I laid to heart. Which begs the question right off the bat, what are all the things that he laid to heart? So I believe... This is a reflection on the whole book. He's been thinking about all of these things, the striving after the wind and all of this. He's been processing and thinking about this whole book and what he's been writing. But more specifically, I see this as a call back to 817. It says this, Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. So, this is referencing that man cannot know God's will, his providence, his plan. Man cannot know. No matter how hard we work at it, we will never truly know what God's doing and his plan for this world in our lives. We're never going to know. The reassuring point that he gets to in this is that even though we can't know what God's doing, we can be reassured that the righteous are in his hands. What a great thought. What a reassuring thing to think about, that even though we have no idea what God is doing, we know that the righteous are in his hands. We can be reassured that if we have a relationship with the Lord, we are in his hands and he will never let us go, ever. Ever. This also brings into play, though, that even though God has us, it doesn't mean things are going to be great. Yes, it is reassuring, it is an incredible thought to think through that the God of the universe has us. That's awesome. That he loves us. He loves you. But that does not mean that life is going to be perfect. That does not mean that life is going to be great. We as humans don't know the reason God's doing any of it. That's why it says, is it love or hate? We don't know. We have no clue what God's doing. All we have is the knowledge that it's all in His hands. This concept of trusting and letting go of control is so hard for some of us to digest. But it's the main cornerstone for this passage today, especially as we ponder the question, how do we live in light of death? Verse 2 says this, it "...is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice." As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. So as we continue on in this, we see the preacher break it down even further by saying, yes, yes, the righteous are in the hands of God, but so are the wicked. Spoiler alert, the wicked are too. It's the same for all. God has it all. It's all his. He's in control of all, including the one event that happens to every human on planet earth, which is death. He is in control of all of it. We see in this verse that it doesn't matter who you are, what you do, you will die. Good, bad, or indifferent. Then we go into verse three, it says this. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that, they go to the dead. We start to see Solomon's frustration with this idea of death. He says it's evil that this happens to everyone. He's so frustrated. He's trying to get his frustrations out, writing this down. Why does this happen to everyone? It's almost as if he's venting about this injustice, which is death. He's venting about this injustice. Why does everyone die? Look at this guy over here. This guy loves the Lord, works so hard to honor God with his family, with his finances. He does everything for the sake of the Lord. He's going to die. Over here on this side, you have a psychotic murderer. Guess what? He's going to die too. Why is this that both of these people have the same fate? This is what Solomon's venting about, this injustice, this injustice of death. Why does everyone die? It's an evil in this fallen world that we live in. He doesn't stop there, though. He keeps going by saying, people are full of evil. They're full of madness, and then they die. As I was thinking about this passage, it made me think about the idea of the circle of life. If you've ever seen The Lion King, it's a cute little thing that Mufas is talking to Simba, and he's like, and we all start here, and then we eat the grass, and then eventually you die, and you go back to the grass, and you keep eating it. It's this cute little circle of life, Right? But as I was processing this passage, I was thinking about what Solomon was saying, and I see this as the circle of death. In the middle of it, you have the root of it all from Genesis 3, you have sin, that's the smack dab in the middle of this circle, and then around the circle are three main components. You're born, there's evil, there's madness, and then you die. Evil and madness, and then you die. The circle of death. When Adam and Eve sinned, it caused a chain reaction that created this circle of death Solomon's talking about here. Because of original sin, all of us are born with sin nature. We are full of madness and evil, and then we die. Because of what we did. The whole world is cursed. No matter who you are, as we saw previously, we're going to die. No matter how much of an injustice or unfair, that is the result because of the fall. That is the result because of the fall. So up to this point, Solomon is doing something that most people would never want to do. And that's open up that scary box we call death and talk about it for real. Because it's hard. It is hard to talk about death. It's not something that you just want to sit around and have a nice little chat about. I found out a couple days ago, uh, my great-grandpa died. And I'm trying to think through, like, why have I not talked to anybody about it? Why have I not processed this out? And it's because it's hard. It's because I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. I officially have more students than I can count that have either committed or attempted suicide, and the reason I don't want to talk about it is because it is hard. It is not easy to talk about this kind of stuff. This death, this idea of death is not easy. My brother in law passed away six years ago in a car accident. I don't want to talk about it, it's hard. And each and every one of us has stories like this that we are holding inside because it is hard. So we see Solomon in this, he's breaking this mold, especially in our culture today. He is breaking this mold. People are scared to think about it, let alone sit down and talk about it. So we see this scary thing. We know it's going to happen to all of us. In the midst of it, we saw in the previous passages, we know God's in control. So then the question returns, how do we live in light of death? How do we live in this? We're going to see this answered here in the next few verses. 4 through 6 says this, But he who is joined with all the living has hope. I'm going to say that again. For he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. So, in this, we we start to see a shift in what Solomon's talking about here. We're starting to see this shift. We start to see the beauty in the midst of tragedy. And really, this is a call for a shift in the way that we think about death. This is a call to see the beauty in life and not putting the focus on the fear of death. As he's being real and talking about this this difficult thing, he isn't saying not to think about death. He's calling us to actually think about it, know it's there, it's going to happen, but to process it differently. No matter your situation, in the best and the worst, reflect on the beauty that is in life and the incredible gift life is. Finding joy in all that God has provided for us. Solomon in this, he says something so significant here in verse four. He says a living dog is better than a dead lion. So to them, in this culture at this time, dogs were nasty. Dogs were gross. They were scavengers. They were filthy. They were living in the worst conditions. So in this, he's saying, it's better to have nothing and be the lowest of the low than to have it all and be dead. When I was 18, I had the opportunity to go to Costa Rica on a missions trip. My uncle's been a missionary there for almost 20 years now. So it was a really cool opportunity just to come, spend time with him, help him with his ministry, see how different cultures work. Um, You know, one thing I kept going back to that was so confusing to me at this time was why are these people so joyful? What's wrong with them? Why Why are they so happy? The reason I kept asking myself this question is because They lived next to a literal sewage river. It wasn't just a gross river. It was literally a sewage river. Their houses were made out of billboards that they had to steal and tarps that they had to take. Those were their houses. They had no running water, didn't have electricity. They lived in the dirt, 10 or 15 people in these tiny little places, but they were joyful. I was talking to my uncle about it. I was bawling my eyes out on the last day I was there and I was just like, why? Why, Uncle Mark? This doesn't make any sense. I have so much and they have so little. Why is it? It it doesn't make any sense that they're joyful. And he said something so profound and significant to me. He said, they are joyful because they are alive and they have Jesus. And I'm thinking in my ridiculous American mind, no, no, no. Uh Uh-uh. They cannot be joyful. They don't have a car. They can't roll down to the grocery store and get some bread. They don't have water. How are you joyful when you don't have these things? That's what Solomon is talking about in this passage right here. This is what he's breaking down. No matter where you are at in life, God has put you exactly where he wants you to be, he has written your story. He wrote those people's story and they were listening to what this says, having joy in what they had, even though it was so little. It's better to be a dead dog than a living lion. They had nothing and were joyful in the Lord and in what they had because they were alive. So profound for me. These people saw death very clearly as it's in front of their faces constantly, but the difference is They were, even though aware and realistic about death, more focused on the joy the Lord brings and the joy of just being alive, enjoying all the Lord has provided, even if they have nothing. This is the perspective Solomon's trying to get across, living life in light of death. So, one of the most significant things Solomon says in these verses is also in verse 4. He said, He who is joined with all the living has hope. This is so significant because this points to the fact that every human being alive on this earth has the opportunity to find ultimate joy and ultimate hope. Yes, life is a gift, it's meant to be enjoyed. In the next verses that we're going to see, all these things God has called us to enjoy, all the things that he's given us. However, our ultimate joy and hope are not found in these things. They're all good gifts, but not the main point. Every person still has hope while they breathe because every human has the opportunity to be in a true relationship with their creator while they breathe people are always asking, why are we here? I'm sure every single person in this room has heard someone in their life ask that question, why am I here? Why are you here? Why are we here? And most of the time, we get caught up in the gifts of life rather than the giver of the gifts in life. True hope for every human, lies in the good news of Jesus. This Jesus that that came to earth to live the perfect life, die and rise again, this Jesus that came to destroy that circle of death forever, this Jesus that gave it all up to save us when we didn't deserve it, this is where true hope lies for every human breathing. Question is, do you believe it? Do you actually truly believe this, that that is where your true hope lies? We're told if you repent of your sins, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you believe it? This is the one true hope we have on this earth and our true joy and hope lies in this. The most incredible, important news the world has ever known. So the question really is, where are you placing your hope right now? Where are you placing your hope right now this morning? Because if your hope is misplaced, not having your hope in the giver of the gifts, but in the gifts can have eternal consequences. And I want you to leave here today without talking to someone if you don't truly know where your hope lies right now. I know I've said it four or five times in the last two minutes, but that's how important this is. This is the most important thing we could ever talk about, ever. It's over to seven through 10. It says, go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life. And in your toil, toil uh, in your toil which you toil under the sun, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. So in the verses before this, we see Solomon building up to what, look, what it looks like living in the light of death. And then with these verses, he just he just hits it out of the ballpark. Enjoy the life God has given you. Don't live in fear of the unknown. Don't live in a state of striving after the wind. Don't live in a state of fear because of the inevitable fate that awaits us all. Live in a state of joy because you're alive. No matter how good or bad your life is, enjoy it because this is the life God has given you. This is the story he has written you. Don't live in fear. Don't live in fear over it. So in these verses, he brings into play every aspect of life that we live here on this earth. He talks about food, drink, clothes, love, work, these things fully encompass living life as a human. It's so interesting the way he, he wrote this because the first, at first glance, I think this whole passage could be seen as a YOLO kind of passage. For those of you that don't know what that means, that means you only live once. The whole concept of, of that phrase is do what you want before you die. But that's not the perspective he's trying to get across. That's not the perspective here. He's saying, in all of this, no matter who you are, God has given you the things you have and you should enjoy them. This is not go crazy and extreme with your life just because. This is a call to live in light of death. Knowing that this life we live here on this earth, it's fleeting. It's fleeting. God has us here for a reason. He, he's the only one that knows why specifically. He's the only one that knows where we are in our lives for what reason. He's the only one that knows when we will die. James four thirteen through 15 says this. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So instead of worrying about all these details and getting caught up in what am I going to eat, he says, enjoy your bread. Enjoy the food you have. Whatever you have, enjoy it. What am I going to wear? Whatever you have, wear it. Be joyful in knowing that it was provided for you. What am I going to drink? What do you have? Enjoy it. (laughs) What about my job? I think this is a big one. What about my job? Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work hardly as for the Lord and not for men. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Work your hardest for him because he has given it to you. It doesn't matter what job you're doing. You could be digging ditches. I don't know. Maybe someone digs ditches in here. If you do that, do it for the glory of God. Whatever it is you do, whatever it is you have, know it was given to you by God and enjoy it because you know that he gave it to you. What about love? This is an interesting one because I see students do this all the time. They want true love so bad, they are running every which way to find it. They are seeking everywhere. They're going here because, oh man, there might be some, some cute guys or cute girls there. So I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. They're seeking out this love. And I feel like this passage is saying, who is around you that loves you, that you love right here, right now? Stop running after something you don't have. And that's with any of this. Stop running after things you don't have. Look around you and enjoy what God's given you. These verses right here are the breakdown of what it means to live in light of death. Knowing that it's, it's there, knowing, yeah, it's scary because it's unknown, but not letting it control you and weigh you down. Living your life joyful with what you have and praising the God that gave it to you. Let's dive into 11 and 12. See what our last two verses have to say. Again I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift nor the battle to the strong nor bread to the wise nor riches to the intelligent nor favor to those with knowledge but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time like fish that are taken in an evil net Like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. So these verses are so interesting because they seem to completely contradict everything the preacher said up to this point. Sounds like a complete contradiction. In 9, 1 through 6, we explicitly saw him talking about everything being in God's hands. Like, that's kind of been the breakdown of these verses, is everything is in God's hands. And then out of nowhere, he throws in there, nah, everything's by chance. Everything's by chance. It's all just time and chance. Nothing makes sense. The fastest don't win the race. The strongest don't win the war. What? I think the more that we understand the preacher's voice, though, I think the more we understand how Solomon talks, we start to see that this is obviously not him contradicting what he previously was saying. This is him once again venting about how the world seems to work on the surface. This is Solomon going into another vent session. He already acknowledged that even though we don't know what God's doing, that's still on his hands. What an encouragement. We all know. we, We know it's in his hands. So this is actually just another good outlook of the world and observation from Solomon of the way things are perceived. This world isn't fair. Nothing makes sense. So the question is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Within the context of living life in light of death, are you going to focus on the things that aren't fair in this life? Are you going to focus on things that are not fair in this life? Are you going to focus and be paralyzed by the idea of death? This was a main part of what Solomon's been talking about through this passage things that aren't fair. Death is not fair. Why does it happen? Time and chance seem to be unfair. Life seems to be unfair. When I was in Costa Rica thinking through these people, this is unfair. So are you going to focus on those things? Are you going to focus and be paralyzed by the idea of death we've been talking about? Are you going to worry about the food you have, the clothes you have, the cologne you wear, the job you do, Are you going to let these details control your life, or you going to are you going to live in thankful joy to the God that gave you what you have? Are you going to live in the light of death, enjoying the life you have? Are you going to live in fear? Are you going to live in the fear of death, the unknown, fear of not enough money, fear of losing your job, fear of losing your kids? whatever it may be, don't live in fear. Live in light of death by enjoying life and giving praise to the one who gave it to you. But as I say that, is it really that easy? Everyone go out, don't live in fear. Is it that easy? No, it's not that easy. This is difficult. Just like talking about the hard things in life, talking about death and difficulties, this is not easy to do. This is harder than it sounds. Because I said at the beginning, talking about death are really any of these things that are difficult to discuss. They don't tend to come up in conversations. Because who wants to talk about it? Who wants to be bummed out talking about the hard stuff? Let me ask you this. How... Can you not live in the fear of death, in the fear of hardships, if you aren't willing to be real and and share your struggles with it? That's why we as a body, we need to not only step up and start being real with each other, but step up and speak truth into each other's lives no matter how hard it is. A challenge for you as we close this morning is to not only live your life in light of death, but to do it openly, to encourage others around you who might be struggling with similar things. You have no idea the struggles the person sitting next to you might have. And how are you ever going to know to be able to encourage them? In Galatians 6, it talks about bearing each other's burdens. How can you ever bear someone else's burdens that are dealing with these struggles, dealing with these fears, if you never open up and talk about them for real with the people around you? This is why, this is why I love the way Solomon writes. I love it. He unapologetically throws down what he sees, and it's refreshing. No holds barred. He just he throws it down there. So what I'm asking is that we take a page of Solomon's book and be real about where you are, about what you're thinking, what you're dealing with. Being fake only hurts the world around you. And it's interesting, like even processing this passage, even standing up before you guys and saying, hey, I did not process my great grandpa dying a few days ago. That was a reminder to me, even God's showing me, I need to do this too. This is all of us. Everyone is dealing with situations that we need to be working with and processing with each other. If we don't, how is anything ever gonna get better? Be real and live openly in the light of death. And then back to where our true hope lies. There's a verse I want to close this out with. It's 1 Corinthians fifteen, fifty five through fifty eight. I, I feel like it just sums it all up perfectly says this, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to you, God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Live in the light of death, but in the hope of Jesus who defeated death who paid it all to be in a relationship with you. Enjoy the life given to you, but don't be anxious about this world and death. Keep it in perspective, but know where the true hope lies, which is in the giver of the gifts, not in the gifts themselves. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, you are so good. You are so kind and loving. God, we don't deserve anything, but God, you, you have given us life. You have given us all the things that we have, Lord God, and we praise you for it. But Jesus, God, we, we thank you so much for coming and living and dying and rising again for us so we could be in a relationship with you. That's where our true hope lies. God, and I pray that every single person here would know that, and if they don't know that truth fully, God, if they're not truly in a relationship with you, that they would not leave this room today without talking to someone about it. God, thank you for all that you do for us. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's all stand and close our service together. Thank yeah. you.